take me out to a crowd. I don't get care. I don't care if I get breathed on. What? I don't have a rhyme for on right now. I was going to go with lawn, but there's no lawns out right now. So you get what you pay for. You can sit down. All right. This is sweet. All right. Hi, Internet. Hi, friends. Hi, everybody here. Welcome to our time together in the Word of God. We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, which is near the second half of the Sermon on the Mount. As you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn there, and you can read with me. I also am hoping to rely on some slides today, but they're not always reliable. It's always good to have a hard copy because... Low-tech beats high-tech very often. Wonderful. I have a verse from Scripture that's really been speaking to me, which I don't know if it'll be a a year verse or, or if it's just for this weekend. But it's this verse here, and it's from John 7. This isn't what we're going to be looking at today, but it's, it matters to me and how I'm thinking, and I want to share it with you so you can kind of be on the same page as me. And it's from the Gospel of John, and it's Jesus in his ministry, and he says this. He's at this feast. He says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And then I've italicized and underlined a verse that I think you would be very well served to memorize. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. But this idea, this promise, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Do you believe in Jesus? Okay, it's your destiny, your identity, it's your purpose, it's your who you are to be somebody who has rivers, plural, interestingly, rivers of living water flowing out of you, which is a picture for the Holy Spirit coming out of you, okay? This is who you are. If you believe in Jesus, Jesus' promise is, according to Scripture, rivers of living water ought to be flowing out of us. Amen? That's normal. Normal Christianity, that's normal. And I love this verse because for me it ties together Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit. Where's the Father in this? Well, when Jesus says, as the scripture has said, he doesn't just mean some old book. He means the inspired word of my Father. Whoever believes in me, the Christ, just like my Father in heaven has promised, out of them will flow the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so in this, Jesus is focusing on himself, where all of our trust and hope and obedience and loyalty is supposed to be on the man Christ Jesus, as well as he's saying, 
It all is happening because my father has faithfully communicated in a book what we should expect and believe and obey. And the result should be in experience the Holy Spirit coming out of us in a way that seems like rivers of living water. And, you know, when you live in Steinbeck and it's January and you're having a good snow year, it might not seem too appealing to have rivers of water happening everywhere. You might be thinking about late spring or early spring when the thaw happens and everything's getting flooded. But if you live in the Middle East, if you live in Jerusalem, where almost every single spoon of water you would ever drink would be getting hauled out of a cistern, fresh, flowing, clear water is like chocolate cake. It's just the best blessing to have a living water. That's what living water means. It means like flowing, and it's not just sitting there stagnant, growing mold in the bottom. It's living water. It's flowing water. It's fresh water. If we believe in Jesus, according to the promises of God, we will be flowing with refreshment in the Holy Spirit to those around us. Good news. And that's my hope for us as a church. That's my hope for you as people. That's my hope for me. Interestingly, however, I think there's stuff we can do to constrict the flow. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. And one of the reasons we're about to go to this passage is that in the last two years-ish, Two and a half years, we've had two visits from Apostolic Oversight Brothers. And both times, they have come to visit us to help us out with some problems. They have started helping out with us by getting us to read and obey this passage. Judge not, that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure, underline, that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not notice the log that is in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Does anybody here like control? Well, it's a trick question. Don't trust Pastor Rob. You can put the... Somebody make me a t-shirt. Don't trust Pastor Rob, you know. Calvary, 2022. Anybody here like control? Be honest. Don't go to hell. Be honest. Yeah. Do you know you have a lot of control over how much Holy Spirit comes out of you? Do you know you get to decide how big of a measure God is going to flow to you and through you? Do you know you have a lot of control? Is our measure being constricted? Are we a leaky faucet? Or are we a glacier-fed river that flows all year round that's a danger to sin that decides to go swimming in it? 
According to Jesus, who decides? The measure. We decide. You just sit here quietly for 30 minutes while the Holy Spirit starts to work on our hearts, right? Who decides if you're a leaky faucet or a rushing river? If your heart is a leaky faucet or a rushing river? Who decides if that promise, if you believe in Jesus, you will have rivers of living water flowing out of you, gets fulfilled or frustrated? Is seen with power or kind of turns out to be a pity? Me. For me. And you for you. Anybody here like judging? Oh, to the yeah. Right? We like judging. And uh, has anybody in the last couple of years had opportunity to judge? (laughs) Right? If you haven't been dead for the last two years, you've had an increased opportunity to judge. True? And even the dead sometimes judge a little bit. There's this scene in the book of Revelations where there's all these like martyrs before the throne. Do you remember this? All the martyrs for the gospel are before the throne and they even are saying to Christ, how much longer? Like even the dead judge sometimes. And God says to them, a little bit longer. There's still more people who need to be slain for the gospel. Why do we like to judge? I thought this would be useful so that we can all feel horrible together, not just me. Why do we like to judge? Because in this fallen world, ever since mom and dad ate the fruit, there is lots of evil. And we are made in the image of God. God is a judge. If you go to the book of Genesis chapter 1, what does God do at the end of every single act of creation that he does? He evaluates it. Except for the second day. And there's reasons about that. It's a Monday. Lots of people say, you know, that's why Mondays. God does not declare Monday good. He waits till Tuesday. And then he says, you can check it out for yourself. For a long time, Jewish people wouldn't get married on a Monday because God did not declare it good. Which I don't think is exactly what the scripture means there. But, you know, he makes light and separates it from darkness. He says, good. And then he makes some dry land. After making the heavens on day two, he makes a dry land. He says, good. Makes some stars and the sun, good. Makes some people, good. Finishes it all together and has a rest. Declares it, very good. Sees Adam all by himself, not so good. God is a judge. And he's all good and he evaluates. And he's evaluating all the time. And his evaluations are so thorough and complete and detailed that he warns us that we are going to be held to account for every thoughtless word that we say. Anybody here say a thoughtless word? It's, it's on the books. I, I sometimes wonder, Jesus, exactly how long is the final judgment going to take? If you've had 
dozens of billions of people and you're working through every single thoughtless word that they say, the first trillion years may just be required to get through up to, you know, when Jesus was born. But God is a judge, and we are made in his image, and so we too are made to evaluate. And I think if we never fell, it would be all good evaluations. We come up to a field, and we say, this field isn't quite as great as it could be. We should put a donkey in here, and we should put some cow in here. Maybe we should make a house over here, and we can develop this for corn, and that for wheat, and over there. And we could use our judging skills just for good, and see potential in places that there aren't potential. Hey, there's that thing in the sky. What is it? That's a moon. Well, maybe we should make a ship and go up there and turn that big dead rock into something amazing. That's a judgment, right? The moon could be better. Mars could have people on it. Anybody know somebody who's had that thought recently? Elon Musk is like planning on sending your kids there. Maybe your grandkids. So we shouldn't be surprised as people made in the image of God that we want to be constantly evaluating. However, since we fell along with the world, our judging is now one of the biggest problems in the world. And so we judge for weird and sinful motivations like fear and weakness. When we're afraid of something, do we start judging it? Right? You feel powerless in front of a government. And you start judging them. Because you know you can't stop them. Right? When we feel afraid, when we feel weak, we can often respond with judgment and usually unrighteous judgment. That kind of judgment Jesus doesn't want us doing. Sometimes we can do it in defense or revenge. Anybody heard the phrase, the best defense is a good offense? Right? That's very common with us. You start feeling criticized and you turn the criticism machine up to 10 and you go back at them. And then all of a sudden you and your wife are arguing about things you didn't even know you owned. I'm talking about you. That never happens to me. (laughs) Best wife ever. Best wife ever. Sometimes we judge in revenge, counter-strikes. We feel hurt, we feel wounded, we feel wronged. And we, we can call it justice, but very often it's revenge. I've been thinking as we've been working on this message, in our very biblically influenced culture, when we have important judgments to make, like about murder and stuff like that, we get a jury of 10 or 12, I don't even know, together, but we get a group of people, preferably strangers together, in order to make these judgments that are going to impact people's lives. And when you look at that, we need 12 people. What we're saying is, history teaches us that you can't trust people with judgment. And so you need to get 12 strangers together and insist that they all agree in order to actually send someone to jail for a long time. Because we don't, we know deep down we can't trust each other to be just in our judgments. When we, we live in a democracy where we have a, elections every four years-ish, that's not a good thing. What we're saying is, we don't trust leaders with judgments for more than four years. 
Because we know that we can't trust each other with that much power to make laws and to make judgments and to change things. <laughs> we know what it's like when you've got a tyrant. We know what it's like when you've got a king. They tend to get worse and worse and worse until somebody has to murder them. Has to, quote, quote, quote. And so we, we have an opportunity to get rid of people every four years so that things don't get that bad. It isn't actually like a sign that we're so great that we do democracy. It's we don't, we know how bad things get quickly. Sometimes we judge because it's fun. One of the things I love to do when I'm watching movies with the kids is just say, that would never happen. It's one of my favorite things ever. That would never happen. Or, that was stupid. And I think they get tired of it sometimes, but I'm actually discipling them (laughs) in the kingdom. You know, most Disney movies have something really dumb going on in them. And you just need to call it out. Otherwise, your kids are going to be disciples of Disney, which may or may not turn out for their benefit. Sometimes we judge just out of pride. You, can, you know, when you're judging something, you feel superior to it. Um, every once in a while, like a football news story will come up and some guy will like take off his t-shirt in the middle of the game or something like that. Anybody hear anything about this recently? And even when I'm like, man, it's weird quitting in the middle of the game. That's not great. I also know that every single bad-behaving football player is way better at football than I will ever be. And even any professional football player on his worst day is a better football player than I'll ever be. But it's still fun to judge. I can still have a sense of superiority over somebody, right? Anybody? Somebody? Nobody? Anybody finding yourself humbled about... How you treated your parents when you were a teenager? Now that you have teenagers? Right? Okay. You wish you could get back in a time machine and just be like, I'm going to take the humility route and maybe invest in my future a little bit differently. Now the fifth point here is you can actually judge to help and that's what Jesus wants to get us towards. But it's not always what we're doing with a pure heart. Christians should know that judging is very dangerous. The desire to judge and the act of judgment is like having a loaded shotgun. It can be fun in a good way. It can put food on your table in a good way. You can absolutely kill yourself or your friend very easily. Judging is a loaded firearm. You can defend your family. You can kill your family. It's a loaded firearm. And so, when we're called to this kind of stuff, when we have the opportunity to do it, I want to encourage us in a few different ways. When there's an opportunity for judging, let's remember our grace. I want to read a little story from the Gospels. This is Jesus again. It says this. This is uh, Luke chapter 13. And there were some present at that very time who told Jesus about some Galileans whose blood 
Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And what Jesus is after there is there's this there was this judging culture amongst his people there where they kind of thought like if bad things are happening to somebody it probably means they were bad people. Right? Right? And and Jesus's response isn't let's evaluate them it's just like don't you get it that I'm the only thing standing in between you and hell? And you're going to judge by towers falling? Don't you get it that my shed blood on the cross is the only thing standing between you and the complete judgment of God upon you for every sin you've done? And you're going to evaluate whether or not someone had been killed by Pilate? You're going to see somebody get really sick of COVID? And they weren't vaccinated and you're going to judge them? Even though the only thing standing between you and going to hell is Jesus' shed blood mercy? Or you're going to judge somebody for getting the vaccine and hoping it does them good? Even though the only thing standing between you and eternal torment is Jesus forgiving all your sins with dying on the cross? So we remember our grace. All we have is grace. All we have is forgiveness. We got up this morning because of grace. And we had food this morning because of forgiveness. And our heart is still beating because of mercy. And we can still think because of kindness. All we have as sinners is Jesus' blood over us every single day. And the distance between me and Hitler is so tiny compared to the distance between me and the holiness of God. It's like the distance between us and the moon compared to us and the nearest star. We always have to remember our grace. Either God is going to forgive us or we're dead. No matter what is happening around us. Second point. Jesus calls us to search our heart for hypocrisy. Why do you see your brother's speck in his eye when you don't notice the log in your own eye? That speaks to me of hypocrisy. Okay, fathering moment. Any any other dads here? Okay. Have you ever had to, like, you corrected your kids or you, you told your kids, you, you go to your kids and you're just like, when we say get ready for bed, it always means brushing your teeth. Always. Like every time. We've talked about this 600 times already. It never, I never have to say brush your teeth. Going to bed means brush your teeth. And you walk away and you think, I just wish they would listen to their dad. And then you hear that voice that says, I know exactly how you feel. 
Anybody? Okay. Almost every single thing that we want to judge because it seems wrong or it bugs us or hurts us, we have done, we do do, or we could do under different circumstances. Almost every single thing that we hate to see done by other people, we have done, we are doing, or we could do under different circumstances. Jesus says, watch out. Third point, make sure we're on team obedient. Last week, Dallas encouraged us to think about our teams different, not teams vax and teams unvax, but team divisive and not divisive. Anybody remember that? And you're like, yeah, I want to be on team not divisive. I want to talk about two different other kinds of teams, which I think even comes before any other things. There's team obedient to God and team disobedient to God. Amen? This kind of touches on the hypocrisy thing too. But there's team obedient to God and there's team disobedient to God. Now let's just say hypothetically, Jackie does something simple. Can I borrow you for a second? And I get really upset about it. She's not fulfilling some wifely duty. Do you know how long it's been since we've had farmer brownies? I can't even remember. (laughs) Pardon? Well, the chocolate cake, I know, but it's different because people notice when the cake disappears. But with the farmer brownie thing, you can cut off little slivers every five minutes and nobody notices for days. Now, if I respond to my criticism of a failure of wifely duty without my response being self-sacrificial and word-based then I also am not doing my husbandly duties. Because every time I want to complain about Jackie in my heart, there are a list of biblical commands that I have over me that I have a duty to be obedient to before I criticize anybody else. True? Every relationship we have, church member, citizen, husband, wife, child... God has spoken to us about his expectations. And if I can't with a clear conscience say, I am fulfilling these commands from God, but I want to make a big deal about where somebody else isn't, the one thing we have in common is that we're both on team disobedient. Amen? So if I want somebody else to be obedient to God, I need to be, make sure I'm already on team obedience and that I'm calling them over to that team. Does that put like half of the conflicts of the world in context for us for the last two years? Most of our society's conflicts, both sides have something in common. They're both happy to not obey Jesus. And it's not our job as the church to pick sides for people who are already on the same side. It's our job as the church to be 
fully flowing people in the spirit under the word, believing in Jesus, firmly holding on to our jersey as team obedient and calling people to join us there. Amen? So I was convicted of this again when all these new restrictions were announced and I was thinking about stuff and you always wonder, is it email time or whatever? You know what I mean? And I was really convicted. I I haven't been praying. And the word of God says this. First of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. That's the command of God. And if I'm not doing that, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings, ooh, that might be a big ask right now, (laughs) thanksgivings for all people and all who are in high position, then why should I expect a great measure of grace to change the world through my actions when I am not doing my part? Does that make sense? If I think somebody in leadership is on team disobedient, I'm not going to change anything by being on that team too. So I just sent an email, hey, praying for you this week. That was my repentance. And then you go, man, I wish I'd been praying so that this could be Zinger Week. Right? I've been praying for a month and I've earned this. Right? Maybe not. This is a big deal. Make sure we're on team obedient before we try to change a situation with our judgments. Point number four, mercy triumphs over judgment. I like mercy triumphs over judgment because this is where you can actually say, but Rob, something not right is happening. And I see it and it's like, and I can't think, and I can't walk, and I can't go to work, and it's like there's an alarm clock going off all the time in my heart, in my brain, and I don't know where it is so I can smash it with a hammer. Right? Because things are going wrong. What does it look like to remember that mercy will triumph over judgment in this place? Because mercy is action. I'm choosing to have mercy. It doesn't mean forgetting. It doesn't necessarily mean inaction. It can, but you can respond to something that needs attention, choosing mercy. And usually people will respond better than that. Point number five, be practical about judging. What do you actually want to happen? Often when I'm getting in in J-mode... There's a little saying for all the families. If you need a gentle way to start talking to each other, you can just say, darling, are you entering J mode? Right? I got one person laughing. Is this message too heavy? Let's try and lighten this up a little bit. When it's time to go into J mode, it's always good to ask yourself, 
What do I practically want to happen? Do I want to get things better or do I want to vent? What, what exactly am I wanting to happen? Do I want relationships better at the end? Do I want them not better? What do I want to happen? Because if Jesus has promised that I'm going to get judged for my judging, do I want to be judged? Is that what you want today? How do you want to spend your Sunday afternoon? Do you want to spend your Sunday afternoon being judged by God? You're awfully quiet for an honest question. I didn't write the Bible. It's the stick. You're all worried. But we just, we know that there's like consequences for this stuff, right? Right? We know it now. We've read the word. We know there's consequences. What do you want to happen? Are you curious? This is why you're quiet? I don't know. Okay. No, I don't want help. I don't need help. Okay. This is the... As good as I can think of doing. I'm going to figure this out, guys. Don't judge me. Save your afternoon. Okay. There's consequences for judging. Right? Okay. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I didn't actually want to pull my own hair out because according to my wife from our last haircut, I don't actually have as much as I did earlier in our marriage, and so I don't want to pull it out with duct tape. Okay, so the warning is unrighteous judging, unfaithful judging does have a consequence. You have a log in your eye. And I can assure you right now with this stick, it's not even a log, but the stick in my eye, I'm not seeing very clearly. Right? So do you want to have spiritual blindness? Do you want to be able to not be able to correctly see the world and your place in it? Do you want to think you're doing good but not doing good? Do we want that? Do I want that? Uh, No, 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 I don't actually. Practically speaking, I think I'm convinced now that I need as much Holy Spirit grace as I can get. I think practically speaking, my family actually needs the biggest measure of God's grace that I can welcome. I think practically speaking, Calvary Church needs as much Presence of God, not to judge, but to bring grace and healing and power as possible. Just practically speaking. So when there's opportunities to judge, when your emotions want to go down that way, when it seems right and fair to just sink your teeth into this, we sink our teeth into this, there should be a little Scottish guy, because the Scots are very practical, inside our hearts saying, think about this practically, boy. You're going to look like a buffoon with a toque on and duct tape on it and a stick that you're lying to everybody calling a log because you don't even have enough grace to make a real illustration out of this. Amen? 
Do you want things to get better with your husband and wife? Okay, then you can't be judging them. Do you want things to get better with your kids? Then you need to let mercy triumph over judgment for them. Do you want things to be powerful at Calvary Chapel? Then we need to stop saying it's everybody else's fault that it isn't. We need to stop judging each other, saying you're the reason that we don't have revival yet, and you're the reason why things aren't powerful. This is one of my convictions from this, is that I, as the team leading pastor, cannot give you a measure that Jesus isn't giving you. And if you're judging and condemning and having a critical spirit against somebody, I cannot empower you because Jesus is shutting you down. So stop making everybody else the problem if the problem is that God is holding the hose clamped shut until we all repent of our judging. What do I know? I'm just some idiot with a toucan. Number six, get yourself a judgment-free hero. I was reading Corey Ten Boom's The Hiding Place the other day. And I had to put the book down because I ran into somebody who was just too good for me to keep reading about her. It was her sister, Bessie. And if you remember this story, they were living in Europe during World War II, during a Nazi occupation, and they were hiding Jews in their house. And you can go online to the Ten Boom Museum, and you can actually do a virtual tour of the house, including seeing the secret room where they hid Jews during uh, the Holocaust. And eventually, people found out about what they were doing, and they were invaded by Nazi soldiers looking for the Jews. And when the Nazi soldiers came in, I think Corey and, Te- and Bessie, her sister, were both had terrible colds. It was WW2 COVID. They were super sick. But the soldiers grabbed them, took them out of bed, and started like beating the snot out of them to try to get them to say where the Jews were hidden. And when they they were separated, when they were reunited, Corey looks at Bessie, and her face is just all red and puffy from getting slapped around by a Nazi soldier. And she says to her, Bessie, they were beating you. And she says in response, yes, I feel so bad for them. These soldiers that she knows are doing one of the greatest evils in human history, and she feels sorry for them that they just don't know Jesus. That they think that this is the right thing to do. Guys, somebody lived in this world who was having pity over somebody who was beating her up. What ought we to do? So I put the book down because I don't want to read about that anymore. I was feeling too convicted. It's like, no, you're supposed to hate the Nazis. Hate the Nazis. You're, supposed to, you're not supposed to feel sorry for them being so blind in God's world that they could do such evil. So have a judgment-free hero. Have a hero of somebody. I, I would recommend to all of us Elizabeth Elliot again. She's a dangerous woman. I don't know if you know her story. Her husband was murdered by a tribe in South America. 
whom she continued to minister to for years afterwards, and they eventually got saved. And the, the guy who killed her husband passed away like two years ago, just when COVID started. He was in the news because he passed away. The guy who murdered her missionary husband, who became a Christian and a leader in the church and their people. But like, ah, they killed her husband. They killed her husband. And she stayed and led them to Jesus. And came back to America and often did not make friends because we, we don't want to hear about that kind of service to Jesus. That kind of like, who cares about your feelings? Obey God kind of service to Jesus. So I would recommend Elizabeth Elliot to you as a judgment-free hero who's quite humble. Amen? So let's pray. My desire for you is that you would live in the biggest measure that you can get from Jesus in this life. My desire for you is that it would be obvious that you have rivers of living water coming out of your heart. That it would be so obvious that there are rivers of living water coming out of Calvary Chapel. That they would keep calling the, the water people at Steinbeck <laughs> to turn off the pipes here. Because there's so much grace. And we have a lot of control about whether or not that will happen. Let's pray. Father God, I just, uh, I'm so humbled, Lord. I just... I want to go first. Father, would you completely liberate me from every bad kind of judging? I know I do. Sometimes I'm afraid. Sometimes I'm hurt. Sometimes it just would give me a sense of superiority. I, I don't care. I want the rivers. I want the rivers. I want the rivers. Two years into COVID, we need the rivers. 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 So God, I just pray for grace for everybody listening. Lord, that you would lead us in good conviction of sin. And we'd welcome it. We'd welcome it. We'd say, please, I need the rivers. I don't want to be a stick face. I need the rivers. And Lord, I just pray that where we can have practical ways to demonstrate repentance from judgment, that we would say yes to it and do it. Father, I pray you'd give us a vision, not of the cost of not judging, but of the benefit practically of being so free and living as a river. I pray you'd show us Jesus. I pray you'd make us see how big our sin is that's been forgiven. 